Kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. You have a great time. Happy running in the rain. Parents, you will have a wet child, I am sure. Everybody else, if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 31, the last proverb in the book of Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Please feel free to take that and turn with us there. Take that with you if you don't have a copy for yourself. We are uh, in the second week of our last series in Proverbs. We've called this series Social Currency. We're going to spend five weeks, so four left, talking about different relationships that the book of Proverbs addresses and trying to find wisdom in our interactions with um, each other. If you missed last week, we talked about friendship, and uh, I spent almost all week talking to people about their friendships. It was wonderful. So if you missed that, I encourage you to to listen to it. So I'm going to do something today I've never done with great trepidation. I'm going to preach from Proverbs 31. So you'll be kind to me, right? All right. The most important decision you will ever make is the decision of what you do with Jesus. Jesus makes a claim that he is the king. And what you choose to do with that determines your destiny. That is the most important decision you'll ever make. If you're here today and you don't yet know what to do with Jesus, I hope you'll stick around and talk with someone. I hope you'll take a Bible and you'll read it. Because his claim wasn't merely to be a nice guy and a good teacher. His claim was to be God. His claim was that he belongs on the throne of your life. So he can't merely be someone we look at as a good moral teacher. He's either God and thus worthy of worship, or he's a lunatic, and you shouldn't be here at all. There isn't a third option. What you do with Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. The second most important decision you'll ever make is if to marry, and if so, to whom? And today, we're going to try and answer that kind of question, try to orient ourselves around what Proverbs 31 says about choosing a spouse. What should you look for in a potential spouse? Did you know there's a, almost an entire chapter in the Bible dedicated to answering that question? What to look for in a spouse? Now, before we read it, this quote might help orient us on what kind of spouse to look for. This is from Bruce Waltke in a commentary on Proverbs. It says, wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her. All wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies, each in his own sphere of activity. So in other words, uh, there are many of us in the room today that, that are already married. There are some of us in the room who have been married before. And either your spouse has passed away or you're no longer married, you're divorced. There are others who have never been married and you don't want to be married. Does that mean this sermon has nothing to say to all of us that fall into those categories? Of course not. Why does Proverbs 31 fall where it falls? Why is it the last thing in the book? Well, one set of answers to that may be that Proverbs 31 is Proverbs 31 because this woman talked about at the end of the book 
embodies the message of the whole book. She is wisdom. I think that's helpful to us. So whether you're a man or a woman, married or divorced, widower, widowed, there is a message for us in Proverbs 31. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it as the book talks about it, in that it's talking about a, a young man needing to choose what kind of person to look for in a spouse. But I hope, regardless of your station in life, that you'll hear it through the lens of, this is Proverbs personified. This is wisdom in action. So Proverbs 31, 10. Now, why is, why is it a woman? Well, remember uh, that Proverbs, the book as a whole, is largely a collection of wisdom sayings of a father to a son. Now, that's not true of the last part of Proverbs 31. The last part of Proverbs 31 is a king recounting what his mom taught him. So moms, you get the last word, all right? So this is the wisdom of a mom saying to her son, here's the kind of woman you should look for when you marry. Proverbs 31, let's start in verse 10, and I will just read the whole section. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household. Must be from Phoenix. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothes, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of wildness, idleness. That's a Freudian slip. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now you see why I have some trepidation approaching this. This brilliant poem that ends the book of Proverbs is an acrostic. So Hebrews was originally written in Hebrew 
So in the Hebrew alphabet, this is 22 successive letters describing the kind of spouse to look for. In English, we might say, this is the A to Z of how to find a wife. This is the A to Z of how to find a wife. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But again, I've already said this, I want to say it again. Some of you are thinking right now, but I'm already married. Or I'm single and I want to stay single. Or I'm divorced, or I'm a widow, or a widower. Friends, regardless of where you are in life, there's wisdom here to be learned. So I hope you'll hear what does God have for me in terms of wisdom. But I want to speak especially to those of you today who are here who are not married. And in particular, I'd love to speak to the men. This is the king recounting his mother's words. Son, here's how to choose a great wife. So let's outline the passage today in this way. You'll need to consider four things about this woman. Her worth, her choices, her faith, and her praise. That's what's set out in this last chapter in the book of Proverbs. Her worth, her choices, her faith, and her praise. We'll just walk through them one by one together. Her worth, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. That's the opening words of this mother to her son. A great wife is exceptionally rare, this mother's saying. She's precious. She's valuable. She's a gift of God. Packed into this final proverb is a masterful summary of the entire book. Everything that the book has commended and everything the book has decried can be found in this woman. This potential spouse graciously exemplifies all the good of Proverbs and avoids all the bad. She's not about her own self-interest, but rather the good of others. She's not an adulteress. She doesn't use beauty without discretion. She's not nagging and quarrelsome. She cares for justice. She works hard. She's thoughtful and intelligent. She gives good counsel. She embraces her responsibilities. In other words, she's wisdom in action. Do you see that? This whole year, we have been walking together through the, the book of Proverbs. And every sermon we've had could be summarized in this woman. I find that amazing. Really amazing. Men, particularly single men, a noble, godly, Christ-like wife is worth waiting for. Don't settle. Don't get married just to get married. If God does not bring this kind of woman into your path, then you should not get married. A Proverbs 31 woman is infinitely valuable. Her worth is tremendous. If you come across a woman like this, and you're not married, and you want to be married, and she's not married, <laughs> then get married. Now let's talk about her choices. The majority of this proverb could be summarized under a bucket, collected 
into a bucket of the choices this woman makes. Friends, the choices we make day in and day out determine the trajectory of our lives. We tend to focus on those two or three moments in life when we make major decisions. Am I going to take this job? Am I going to go to this college? Am I going to have another child? Am I going to buy this house? But you only make a few decisions like that in a lifetime. Your life is not mainly made up of those large decisions. It's much more made up of the little decisions you make every single day. And this woman is valuable because she makes really good choices over and over and over and over again. One of the things I personally found interesting and I did not know about Proverbs 31 prior to studying it this week is it's what's called a heroic poem. The picture here is of a woman who's a military hero. That sound odd to you? It does to me. It celebrates the value of her work. It emphasizes her strength. And most clearly, verse 11, look at verse 11. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. And ESV translates it, the rest of it. He will have no lack of gain. In Hebrew, the most direct way to translate that is actually, he will have no lack of plunder. Now, what's plunder? Plunder is the spoils of war. So, here's the image. Do we have something funny over here? No? No? Not to be repeated? All right, interesting. All right. The wives in the room will get this. You'll understand this. To be a godly wife and a godly mother is to realize there is a sense in which you are a warrior. These are not tasks for the faint at heart, are they? This means yes. This means no. Sometimes dealing with a teacher requires mama bear. Right? Sometimes calling the insurance company to address the bill your husband got is like going to war. Isn't it? That's the image. To be a godly mother, to be a godly wife, is not for the faint at heart. This woman is not weak. She is not a pushover. She doesn't sit around. She takes the tasks that have been given to her, and with godly strength, she executes them like a soldier in war. That's the Proverbs 31 woman. I never saw that before. She's not prissy. She's not weak. She's not needy. She's not a pushover. She's a godly, gentle warrior. Most of the poem is dedicated to her choices, what they are, how they add value to the family, and what they will result in. And why I think I have a little bit of trepidation speaking from this text is I'm a man, (laughs) and many times women think of this proverb as giving you a checklist. So if you're a wife, or if you ever want to become a wife, then the way you use Proverbs 31 is you make a list of all of its qualities and you have to meet them 100% every day. 
But that's not actually how Proverbs 31 ought to be used. There is no woman or man who has done Proverbs 31 perfectly, right? That doesn't exist. So then how do we use this proverb? How does it teach us? Well, it holds up an ideal. It's a general picture of the kind of life to pursue. It puts the character of a person into the concrete flesh and bone stuff of everyday life. It says this is wisdom personified. This is wisdom in everyday life. So, ladies, you don't have to meet all of these traits to be a great wife. (laughs) And men, you won't find someone who does every one of these things perfectly. So you're looking at the character of a person in the trajectory of their entire life. Does it look increasingly like this? Now, when you look at it like that, there are character traits that are revealed in the choices that this woman makes. I made a list of six of them, and I just want to talk through them. The first is that this woman is trustworthy. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. It's interesting that the Proverbs doesn't just say her husband trusts her. You catch that? It says something more specific. And if we think about everything we've talked about in Proverbs, then a lot comes to light right here. We gave entire message earlier in the year on the heart. It's emphasizing that when you pull in the context of everything the proverb says about the heart, you'll recognize what a massive statement that is. Wives, do you know how to handle your husband's heart in such a way that he trusts you? That's saying something more specific than just does he trust you. If you belittle him, if you criticize him in front of others, if you don't pursue him as a friend, if you complain and nag him, then you'll have his physical presence, but you won't have his heart. Marriage is to quote a recent book, The Mingling of Souls. It's the heart of a man and the heart of a woman being blended together, such that scriptures say they're no longer two, but, but one. What does that mean? It means that at the deepest, most fundamental level of personhood, these persons now trust each other. They give themselves to each other. The giving of themselves sexually may not be the deepest thing that happens in the marriage. It may not even be the most important thing. The giving of the heart is. Men, you want to look for a spouse that you would bear your deepest, most inner thoughts and feelings to. And a woman that would handle them with care. A woman that would pray for you. A woman that you can trust. Not a neat picture? Do you have the strength and the peace from God such that no matter what your husband might be struggling with, you won't fall apart? If your husband shares he might lose his job, do you crumble 
If he confesses he's overwhelmed, do you collapse? That's what this is getting at. Not just does he trust you, but do you not worship him? Is he not everything your life is about? Is the most important person in his life, her life, actually not you, but God? That's the only way you can actually live like this, is for Jesus to be king and this man to be second. Your husband will trust you if you love God first, because then you'll love him well. Men, you want a wife who knows she's not your savior. You want a wife who won't put you on a pedestal. You want a wife who won't be shocked when you make a mistake. She'll be able to handle bearing your burdens without becoming a wreck because Christ is her strength. You are not her strength. Now, a second category or a character trait we could think about in this woman's choices is that she's helpful. This woman loves her man and she gives herself to enhancing his reputation. Now, where's the dude in the story? Did you catch it? He's at the gates. What does that mean? That's not an image we're familiar with. In ancient cities, the cities that survived were cities that had walls around them. And there were gates. There were entrances into those cities. Um, I have had the pleasure of being to Israel a couple of times. And lots of cities that have been excavated still have them. The most famous one, perhaps, is one of the oldest. It's a city called Dan. Imagine walking into a city that is 4,000 years old. It's still there. It's incredible. Maybe sometime we can look at some pictures together. In the entrance to this city are high walls and little seats. They were the seats outside the gates of the city. And the elders of the city would sit at those gates. Why? Well, was that the smoking section in town? No. Why are they sitting there? They're sitting there because they were the protectors of the city. They're sitting there because as people would go in, they would assess who is this person, why are they coming, what are they coming here to do. They would seek to make good, protective, wise, ruling decisions for the city. So where's this woman's husband? He's sitting at the gate. Why? In part, because he's got a good woman. Now, every man in here that's married is very familiar with this concept. Every man in here that is married has married up. Right? And anything that we are as married men is a result of being married to a good woman. So this man has a wonderful reputation such that he's been granted the highest seat of honor and responsibility in the city. Why can he do that? Now, if I'm going to say something offensive, this will be it. So let me warn you. Why can he do that? Why can he serve in this role of sitting at the gate, protecting the city, 
watching over the affairs of the whole city. Well, he can do that in part because his wife is helping take care of the rest of the family's responsibilities. That's the picture. Now, you've got to figure out what exactly does that look like in your home. It will not be the same in any two homes because God brings different people together with different traits, different skills. But there's got to be that impulse. She manages the home front with great capacity so the husband can influence the city through his role as an elder at the gate. He rose to influence in part through her. Now, a third trait we find out about her is that she's a hard worker. She's faithful as a hard worker. The poem is full of descriptions about how faithful and competent this wife is. Before we look at the specifics of that, though, let me ask a question you may never have asked about Proverbs 31. What's her attitude? As we read that whole text together, what's the sense you get about how this woman feels about her responsibilities? Not rhetorical. What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> I think all of you are right. She seems to be glad to have the responsibility she has. Now, does that mean every single day she's happy about every single thing she's doing? Of course not. She is human. But in general, her attitude seems to be one of joy. She seems to be happy that God has given her this path. She sees her work as a privilege. She's content. Now, this woman is all over the place, is she not? She's crushing administration. She's buying and trading. She owns a business. She keeps the household stocked. She manages all the provisions. She is a Jedi. <laughs> now, notice the focus of her work. What is the focus of her work? The focus of her work is the home. This is a woman who's homeward. Now, I recognize I'm on risky ground here, so I'm going to quote a woman. All right? Claire Smith, who wrote a recent book, put it this way. Her main sphere of operations is clearly her home, and her primary focus is her family. Her family only benefit from her work. Whatever she is doing to earn an income, it fits in around her family responsibilities. Now, hear me out. There's nothing in the Bible front to close that says a woman should not work outside the home. There's nothing about what chores the husband should do and what chores the wife should do. There's nothing about who's supposed to make more income or have more education. The picture in the Bible of marriage is one of total equality total dignity, total worth, yet distinctions in roles and responsibilities, which show themselves at the level of the posture of the heart. Okay? You cannot merely break this down into what kind of jobs or how many jobs or all of those things may vary even within a marriage 
given whatever season of life that couple happens to be in. It is a mistake to relegate this to 1950. Okay, this existed way before 1950 did, right? Okay, I'm not trying to move us back to some particular moment in American history where the family was perfect. That didn't exist. That didn't exist. But it is inescapable that this mother is telling her son, son, look for a woman whose primary bent in her heart is towards making sure everything in life is going well so that you can do what God has given you to do. Again, how you work that out is going to be different in every home. Every marriage will have to flesh that out. Every home will look different. In terms of responsibilities and decisions and choices that every marriage has to make, I found Claire Smith's two questions in relationship to Proverbs 31 helpful. She says this, Does my work help or hinder me in meeting the needs of the people God has given me to love? And then she lists spouse, children, parents, friends, Christian brothers and sisters. So as you think, ladies, about what kind of job or volunteer work or responsibilities to take on, that's a good question to ask. The second one, she says, is do I really need the money? Are we living beyond what we really need? Are we putting money and nice things we can buy before people and God? I think those are helpful questions to ask as you consider your own trajectory of life. Now let's go on before you start throwing things at me. Four, this woman is generous. This is easy to miss, but look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. While a great spouse will care deeply for her family, she will not make an idol out of them. She will not collapse the entire world into three or four people. She will see that God's given her intelligence, God's given her gifts, God's given her abilities, God's given her resources, and she'll use those to benefit and bless other people. She won't ignore the needs of the world right in front of her to exhaustively and exclusively care for her family alone. This is one of the things focus on the family and organizations like that have done that I think is unhelpful. Ladies, there is more to do in life than just take care of the kids and just take care of the husbands. There are people in need of you as a godly woman. And so if you're married and the husband doesn't help with anything, there's a problem. Shouldn't be that way. That's not what Proverbs 31 is saying. This woman clearly is up and about and going through life and she's publicly known and when she comes across a need, if she's able, she meets it. She's generous. This godly woman sees herself as a servant of God and aims to meet needs wherever she is. And by the way, that's the very best way to live. That's the best way to live. She's also wise. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. Sometimes, 
the teachings of the Bible related to men and women get twisted and maligned and abused. This verse is helpful to balance that out and to correct it. So to point out the obvious, if this woman is giving good counsel, what is she doing? She's speaking. The Bible does say that the office of elder or pastor in the church is reserved for qualified and called men. That is not to say that God doesn't gift and qualify and call women to very important, equally important roles. The very epicenter of which is a godly wife and mother who because of the quality of her life in those regards, people from all kinds of different walks of life are coming to her for wisdom because they see it. It's visible. Are you with me? Some of the wisest people in Church on Mill are women. Some of the people who have given me the best counsel are women. Single men, you're looking for a woman who's wise, who, when you have a different, difficult decision to make, the first person you go to is your wife. The person's opinion you respect the most, you care about the most, is your wife. If you think that your responsibility to lead and love in the home means you don't listen to her and hear from her, you're a fool. This woman is able to weave godly conversations in and out of all the other stuff of life she's doing. That's phenomenal. I want to be like that when I grow up. Finally, this woman fears God. By far the most important thing about a spouse is does she fear God? Is God first? Is God her highest love? Is God the most important person? Remember to fear God is to recognize that he is wholly in charge and to submit to him. Does this woman do that? Guys, she may be drop dead, knock out, gorgeous. But if she doesn't fear God, you don't want to spend your life with her. The most important thing about her is what does she do with Jesus? Everything in her life is driven by a rock-solid confidence. God, you are God, and I'm not. That's what this woman is about. That's what drives everything else. Now let's move to her faith. That's a good segue. Faith is the epicenter of this woman's life. What would propel someone to not only choose a life of helping, a life of serving, a life of giving counsel, a life that's not about her, it's about others, a life where God's first? Why would someone ever choose to live like that? What's their motivation? 
Well, I'm afraid that many of us think of faith mainly as duty. And that isn't this woman's motivator. This woman is driven by the fear of God. She loves God. Joy must fuel a life of obedience. Or your gas, didn't think you'd hear that today, your gas for life is going to run out. Your tank that fuels obedience to God is going to come up on E. Joy has got to be what propels a life of service. Are you with me? Duty alone is not sufficient. Not only is it not sufficient, it isn't even what God wants from you. God wants your affections. He wants your joy. And in Christ, he can have it. Finally, let's consider her praise. Men, if you're single and can rightly marry and you want to be married and you come across this ideal woman, then get married because she's rare. And then, regardless of what she does from that day forward, praise her. That's how the proverb ends. Look again at verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Moms, has that ever happened a single time? My kids are getting out of bed. I love you, mommy. You're the best. It's something to hope for. Her husband also, and he praises her. How? What does he say? Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. So this husband, he's sitting at the gates. And what is he doing? He's not talking about who won the football game. He's not sitting with a beer, boasting that he's got more possessions than the guy next to him. He's not gawking at the woman that's walking through the gates, wishing that he had that one. What's coming from his lips is God's given me a good wife. Men, speak kindly of your wife, publicly and privately. Focus not on her weaknesses, because you have more. Focus on her strengths. Praise God in prayer in front of her. Thank her. Bless And ladies, I imagine all of this sounds overwhelming. So a couple of things to say to you. This is not a checklist. It's a picture of character. It's a lot. But there is a tremendous pressure that you may feel that this proverb releases you from. In the entire proverb about the ideal woman, the best candidate for wife. There's not a single example or command that you're to look a particular way. 
Can you imagine how you would feel, ladies, if you were convinced of that? That your appearance, that the shape of your body, by how much you weigh, by whether you have wrinkles or not, white hair or not, if stuff is sagging now that didn't used to, that that doesn't really matter. That in the end, the beauty that matters before God and the beauty that ought to matter before a husband is the beauty of a heart made clean by Christ. That pressure that you feel every time you walk through the grocery store and you see the magazines on either side of you that are not actually real people May God free you from that today. Life is not about the shape of your body. Life is about the shape of your character. Notice the only time that beauty comes up in Proverbs 31 is to say that beauty's in vain. Ladies, you'll never likely be prettier than you are right now. That's okay. Culture puts tremendous pressure on you, but God doesn't. And a good husband, or a good future husband, also won't. The beauty that matters is having a beauty that's precious in the sight of God. So as many things as this proverb does say, pursue. It doesn't say pursue that. So I hope you'll find some release there. Now how do we summarize a sermon like this? Let me take a couple of moments and aim to do that. Men, this type of woman is never going to say yes to you unless you are a godly man. She's going to be far too smart to have one pulled over on her. So don't focus on the woman. Focus on yourself. Focus on your character. Are you becoming more Christ-like? Because the gospel of Christ has saved you. Put your sights there. And if you do, and if God's plan is for you to be married, this woman will come across your path eventually. And if she doesn't, then that means God's path for you, his gift to you, is the gift of singleness. That is a thing. Focus on yourself. The ideal wife is wise. If your faith is weak or your attitude is selfish or you don't know how to work hard or you're not deeply involved in relationships in your church family, she's going to see it and she's going to refuse you and she's going to be right to do so. So focus on yourself. Focus your energies on being a godly man. Now ladies, I think this proverb can feel unbearable. But understand this is not a prescription designed to weigh you down. It's a gift. It's a portrait of what a godly woman looks like. And in Christ, it's worth pursuing. And he can fuel you to do it. Now, how does that happen? Well, I think 
You look back at Genesis 2, a person made in the image of God before sin entered the world. This is what people looked like. And then you look ahead to Ephesians 5, where it says that people are being made new in the image of Christ. And then you look ahead forward to when Jesus comes back. Here's the way Jude ends. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Ladies, Christian ladies, you will become a Proverbs 31 woman. It's guaranteed. Because Christ has promised he will complete the work he started in you. So it's worth throwing yourself headlong every day in the pursuit of this because it's promised you by God. You will die and become the Proverbs 31 woman. How far will you get in that path? I don't know. But Christ wants to be your fuel. Now, why a whole sermon speaking to, mainly, to women? That's what Proverbs 31 has done. Now, ladies, single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, if you like it, then you better put a ring on it. Um, that's not in my notes. Does Proverbs say nothing to you about how to find a spouse? Well, there isn't three-fourths of a chapter dedicated to that topic. But the book says a lot about what to look for in a man. Does he fear God? Does he work hard? Does he give himself sexually to people who have not yet been given to him in marriage? Does he love God first? Is he lazy? Does he have good friendships? There's tons of stuff in Proverbs to think about and process for you as well. Couples, married people already here. Don't you dare go home from this sermon and use this proverb or my words to beat up your spouse. That's not what this proverb is for. If you didn't marry the kind of person I've described, it's your own dang fault. You've got the spouse that God has for you. So put your energies not into wishing he or she were different, not into daydreaming about what it would be like to be with somebody else, but to be the kind of person God has designed you to be. Chances are, if you put your energies there, over time the other person's going to change too but your concentration is to be on yourself.
Now, what does this woman look like? Well, here's a picture. I love you. I spent a day and a half studying Proverbs 31 this week. And over and over and over again, I found myself praising God because he's given me this kind of woman. You are this. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you haven't left the second most important decision we ever make merely up to looks or intuition. You've given us a description of the kind of character in a person we ought to look for. God, I thank you that in your kindness, As an ignorant 19-year-old, you allowed me to get engaged and then married to this kind of person. Pray that you'd help me to become the kind of man that reciprocally treats her the way she treats me. Thank you, God, for Jill. I pray you give each of us wisdom in whatever we need to do and think and change as a result of this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen.